We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 350 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, July 6th. 2022. Hey, is RFK Stadium still burning? I sure hope that RFK Stadium isn't still burning. Did you see this? The Washington, D.C. Fire and EMS Department on Tuesday evening tweeted out video of RFK Stadium being on fire. Yeah, Uh, read the portion of the tweet above the video, quote, working fire RFK Stadium Hashtag DC's Bravest have located several fires in below grade levels in the stadium in the process of extinguishing same, no injuries reported, investigators en route, end quote. Uh, And if you've seen the video, just as striking as all of the smoke at RFK Stadium and all of the firefighters on the scene at RFK Stadium are... All of the weeds on what used to be the field of RFK Stadium. Uh, What a dilapidated mess RFK Stadium has become. And I know RFK Stadium is set to be demolished, but still, that is a sad scene, man. RFK Stadium, the home of the Redskins from 1961 through 1996, the site of so many wonderful Redskins moments over the years, Uh, the home of the Senators from 1962 through 1971, the home of the Nationals from 2005 through 2007, the home of DC United from 1996 through 2017, heck, the home of HF Festival for years. I went to multiple HF festivals back in the day, but RFK Stadium, perhaps the single most iconic venue in Washington, D.C. sports history, a dilapidated mess. Uh, Sad to see, Uh, although it's still probably in better shape than FedEx Field. Hello and welcome to, to a Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We have a commander's press conference on Wednesday morning for Terry McLaurin as the commanders on Tuesday morning officially announced him having signed a three-year contract extension. The Terry McLaurin contract extension now is officially official. Next segment, I will talk Terry, uh, including examining the notable receivers drafted by the Skins in between them drafting Terry and drafting the great Art Monk. The truth is this. The Skins, for nearly 40 years, did a terrible job of taking receivers in NFL drafts. From Art Monk until Terry McLaurin, every great receiver who the Skins had came from the USFL or was acquired via trade or was acquired via free agency. The drought that Terry McLaurin has broken was a near four-decade-long drought, much more 
next segment. I have a special guest for you on the show to talk commanders. Pro Football Focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge. Uh, Nick is a Commanders fan. He was responsible for the PFF grades for players in multiple Washington games last season. Uh, Nick knows the Commanders very well, and coming up on this installment of the podcast is part one of a two-part conversation with Nick on the Commanders. Uh, We on this show will talk Commanders offense, including Nick's takes on Carson Wentz, whether the Commanders' pass-catching core could be the franchise's best since the 2016 pass-catching core, whether Antonio Gibson is more underrated or overrated, and more. Uh, Nick is really good at talking Commanders. You do not want to miss this. Uh, also on the show, I'll talk Nationals. Ah, oh, what a horrible loss for them on Tuesday night. 11 nothing was the final at the Philadelphia Phillies. The Nats are terrible. Uh, Alcides Escobar pitched the bottom of the eighth. Uh, the Nats fell to 6-29 and against the National League East in the 2022 regular season. Let that sink in. 6-29. and uh, I'll also talk Orioles. Uh, they on Tuesday night won a wild game. A 10-9, 10-inning win over the Texas Rangers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The O's won the game despite blowing three leads. The O's won the game despite not having Austin Hayes or Ryan Mountcastle in the starting lineup. You know, the Nats on Tuesday night did not have Juan Soto or Nelson Cruz in their starting lineup. The Nats got demolished. The O's did win a monster game for Cedric Mullins, who finally this season is starting to look like his 2021 self. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Michael on our Wizards agreeing to give Bradley Beal a Supermax contract, a reported five-year, $251 million deal that, by the way, can become official today as it is on Wednesday, July 6th at 12.01 p.m. Eastern that NBA teams can begin actually signing free agents to contracts and can actually begin officially making trades. So it is on Wednesday that the Wizards re-signing of Bradley Beal and trade for Monte Morris and Will Barton and signing of DeLon Wright it all become official. By the way, uh, Wizards unrestricted free agent Thomas Bryant late night on Tuesday night reportedly agreed to sign with the Los Angeles Lakers. Writes Michael, why are the Wiz consistently so short-sighted? The goal is, I suppose, to remain slash become mediocre. Yay, Ted Leonsis. A quarter of a billion dollars to a pretty good, pretty nice player who can't shoot, won't defend, and has led you nowhere for 10 years. Oh, well, not my money. Uh, Thank you for the email, Michael. Uh, Yeah, I think that you echo the feelings of a lot of Wizards fans right now. Email from Jack L. on Dan Snyder writes, Jack, Dear Al, does Dan have an unlimited hall pass (laughs) from Tanya? As so far, to my knowledge, she has been silent about his alleged harassment of females. If Snyder was a donor to the Democrats and not the Republicans, the House Oversight Committee would be the House Overlook It (laughs) Committee, and all the Democratic members would be mimes when it came to Snyder. In all matters before Congress, Snyder should hire Howard Gutman as Snyder's attorney. Howard knows his stuff. If the milk slash learner's story is true, then all I can say is that, to me, Snyder is a total schmuck. Al, as always, your podcasts are truly top-notch, and I listen every day as your podcast is a staple of my morning. I really appreciate how you discuss all sides to an issue and do not just run with the crowd. Thank you for following sports, so I do not have to as much as I previously did. Best wishes. Well, thank you for that email, Jack. I appreciate that. Uh, Yes, I agree with you that Howard Gutman knows his stuff. And if you missed Howard's breakdown of Dan Snyder, the commanders in Congress, I would highly encourage you to check that out. That was on episode 335 of the podcast. Uh, Yeah, the Dan Snyder, Mark Lerner milk story really is an all-timer. The story is according to this guy, David Pawkin, who worked for Dan Snyder for years. David Pawkin was the chief accounting officer for Snyder Communications Incorporated from 1996 to 2000. David Pawkin then was chief operating officer for the Redskins from 2001 to 2006. David Pawkin, in a deposition to Congress in its investigation of the commander's workplace misconduct scandal, said that he, per the orders of Dan, poured milk on the carpet under the seating in the learner's suite at FedEx Field so as to create a smell of sour milk in the suite. 
because Dan was mad at the learners for supposedly having gouged him on a deal to buy land for more parking spaces near FedEx Field. You cannot make this stuff up, okay? That, my friends, is classic spoiled rich boy behavior. A story like that is so strange, so bizarre, so out there, so whacked out, it has to be true, okay? I 100% believe that story because it is so unusual that how could that story not be true? And of course, does that story not fit our guy, Danny Boy, to a T? Well, if you are someone who, you know, has been the victim of having had milk intentionally poured on the carpet under the seating in your suite at FedEx Field, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C., based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. McDonald versus City Hospital, a $1.75 million verdict in a medical malpractice case. Bell versus Anova Health Systems, a $3 million verdict for paralysis due to failure to diagnose a medical condition. Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Well, the Commanders are playing this three-year contract extension with receiver Terry McLaurin perfectly. The Commanders are milking, no pun intended, (laughs) uh, this thing for every last drop, every last drippity drop of good public relations. And this is exactly what the Commanders should be doing. I, on last Friday's show, episode 348, said that the commanders shouldn't officially announce the Terry McLaurin contract extension until at least the day after the July 4th weekend. Let the holiday weekend come and go and then officially announce the Terry McLaurin contract extension. You know, announce the extension on Tuesday, July 5th, and then say do a press conference the following day, Wednesday, July 6th. Well, looky, looky, And what we have, the commanders on Tuesday morning officially announced the Terry McLaurin contract extension. Uh, They announced it as a three-year extension. And the commanders on Wednesday morning will hold a Terry McLaurin press conference. Bravo, commanders. This is how you maximize positive publicity. Compare and contrast how the commanders are handling the Terry McLaurin contract extension with how the Nationals handled exercising their 2023 club options in the contracts of President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Mike Rizzo and Manager Davey Martinez. Uh, The Nats announced that news on Saturday afternoon. Now think about that. The Saturday afternoon of July 4th weekend, the Nats totally buried the news. And maybe the Nats did this on purpose. I don't know. But the Nats did not do a press conference in honor of the move beyond Davey Martinez's pregame press conference on Saturday. And that presser was already scheduled. We got nothing from Mike Rizzo. And again, the Nats put this news out there on the Saturday afternoon of July 4th weekend. Well, the commanders certainly do not want to bury the Terry McLaurin contract extension news. This is one of the more well-received news items from the team we now call the commanders in quite some time. And the commanders, to their credit, most certainly are not burying the news. Good for them. The commanders press release Tuesday morning announcing the Terry McLaurin contract extension included the following, quote, he is one of 35 players in NFL history to ever record 3,000 plus receiving yards within his first three seasons and the second to do so in Washington. 
He is also one of three NFC wide receivers, Devontae Adams and Justin Jefferson, with at least 75 receptions and 1,000 receiving yards in each of the past two seasons. His 222 receptions are the most through three seasons in Washington. McLaurin is one of 10 NFL receivers to have at least 220 receptions, 3,000 receiving yards, and 15 receiving touchdowns since 2019. In 2021, McLaurin became the first Washington receiver to reach 1,000 receiving yards in consecutive seasons since wide receiver Henry Eller did so from 1994 to 96. He appeared in all 17 games and had 77 receptions for 1,053 yards and five touchdowns. According to Pro Football Focus, McLaurin finished with the third highest receiving grade among wide receivers in the NFC with a mark of 78.3. McLaurin also received the Media Good Guy Award for the second consecutive season, given out by the Washington Beat reporters to the player that is most readily available to the media. End quote. Impressive stuff for sure. Uh, also on Tuesday morning was the commanders tweeting out a video of Terry in a sharp looking suit saying the following. Take a listen. Commanders fans, what's up? Terry McLaurin back, ready for more years to come. I want to thank the Snyder family, uh, Dan and Tanya, for this amazing opportunity for me and my family to come back, continue to try to lead this team to our goals this year. Can't wait to see you guys out at FedEx against Jacksonville this week, week one. Let's get it. We back. We back. We back. Yes, Terry, we back. Uh, And look at Terry being a good employee, right? Thanking his commander's co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder, telling people to buy tickets to be at FedEx Field for the game against the Jacksonville Jaguars in week one of the 2022 season. That's a good employee right there. Uh, I said this on last Wednesday's show, episode 346. I'll say this again right now. Terry McLaurin is the best receiver taken by Washington out of college in an NFL draft since Art Monk. The Redskins took Terry in the third round of the 2019 NFL draft out of Ohio State. He is the best receiver taken by the franchise out of college in an NFL draft since the Skins took Art Monk in the first round of the 1980 draft out of Syracuse. Yeah, it's true. I mean, think about it. Uh, The other two members of the posse, Gary Clark and Ricky Sanders, those guys came from the USFL. The Skins took Clark in the second round of the 1984 NFL Supplemental Draft. The Skins traded for Sanders, who was taken by the New England Patriots in the first round of the 1984 NFL Supplemental Draft. And then you look at the other great receivers who the Skins have had since the posse. Those guys were acquired via free agency or trade. Uh, Henry Ellard, the Skins signed him as an unrestricted free agent in April 1994. Lavernius Coles, the Skins signed him as a restricted free agent in March 2003. Santana Moss, the Skins traded Coles to the New York Jets for Moss in March 2005. Pierre Garçon, the Skins signed him as an unrestricted free agent in March 2012. Deshaun Jackson, the Skins signed him as an unrestricted free agent in April 2014. All of these very good receivers for the Skins were acquired by a trade or free agency. And when it comes to receivers who the Skins took in NFL drafts between taking Art Monk in the first round of the 1980 draft and taking Terry McLaurin in the third round of the 2019 draft, uh, boy, were there a lot of misses. And a lot of guys who maybe weren't complete misses, but who certainly weren't great. Uh, The first round of the 2016 draft, Josh Doxson. The fifth round of the 2014 draft, Ryan Grant. The third round of the 2011 draft, Leonard Hankerson. The second round of the 2008 draft, Devin Thomas and Malcolm Kelly. The second round of the 2003 draft, Taylor Jacobs. The third round of the 2002 draft, Cliff Russell. The first round of the 2001 draft, Rod Gardner. The fourth round, of the 1997 draft, Albert Connell. The first round of the 1995 draft, Michael Westbrook. The third round of the 1994 draft, Titus Winans. The first round of the 1992 draft, Desmond Howard. The second round of the 1986 draft, Walter Murray. The third round, of the 1982 draft, Carl Powell. You get the idea. 
Now, the Skins did take Jamison Crowder in the fourth round of the 2015 draft. He certainly was good for the Skins, especially over his first two seasons, 2015 and 2016. But ain't no way that you can argue that Crowder was a bigger hit for the Skins than Terry McLaurin has been for the franchise. Uh, the Skins did take Charlie Brown in the eighth round of the 1981 draft, but ain't no way that you can argue that Brown was a bigger hit for the franchise than Terry McLaurin has been. This is special. What the commanders have in Terry McLaurin, and he has been properly rewarded with this three-year contract extension. Press conference on Wednesday morning. We on Thursday show episode 351. We'll discuss the most relevant things that are said at the presser. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. Also, if you have never written a review of the podcast, please consider doing that. You can write a review of the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Uh, the review does not have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two saying how much you like the podcast, uh, the ratings, and the reviews help to make the podcast successful, and I appreciate you doing them. Uh, so this installment of the Al Galdi podcast is for Wednesday, July 6th. We are three weeks away from the start of 2022 Commander's Training Camp. Yeah, three weeks away. That's it. Uh, 2022 Commander's Training Camp will begin on Wednesday, July 27th. Uh, this month and a half long off-season break for the Commanders is moving quickly. We're already halfway through it. And so over the next few weeks on the podcast, we're going to be shifting the focus to preparing for 2022 Commanders training camp. Now, obviously, we'll discuss whatever Commanders news might come up, but now is the time, my friends, to begin looking toward training camp and the state of the team heading into training camp. And here to help us do that right now is a special guest, pro football focused senior data analyst, Nick Ackridge. Uh, when you hear about Washington players and their PFF grades, that often has been the work of Nick Ackridge. He graded Washington for a good chunk of its games last season. Uh, Nick also just happens to be a big Commanders fan. You can follow Nick on Twitter at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge. And his last name is spelled A-K-R-I-D-G-E. And Nick is joining us on this installment of the podcast for part one of a two-part conversation, a two-part extravaganza. Uh, in this part one, we'll talk Commander's offense. In part two, we'll talk Commander's defense. Nick, it's nice to have you back on the podcast. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. So you just sent everybody who's ever had a problem with PFF grades right to me. I know. Well, I, I know you're used to hearing the complaints, so uh, I'll, I'll oh, get yeah. you. I'll get you a few more. So, speaking of Twitter, uh, you on June 20th tweeted that you were flying to Hawaii for your honeymoon a year after getting married, and that you weren't coming back until the Commanders had signed Terry McLaurin to a contract extension. Well, the day on which you flew back, June 28th, was the day on which the news broke that the team and Terry had agreed on an extension. I'm not sure what you did, uh, but I'm glad that it worked. Yeah, I, I guess I have some sort of pull um, there, even though I don't at all. That was just incredibly perfect timing. Uh, that was just supposed to be meant as a joke and kind of an excuse for me to possibly stay in Hawaii as long as possible. But um, it didn't really work out that way. No, but the deal got done, and that is what matters. Uh, there, of course, is so much to like about Terry McLaurin. The pro football focus data really has helped to illuminate just how good Terry is in watching him and in grading him. What would you say has jumped out to you the most about him? Yeah, I mean, I think it's his ability to still grade highly and put up these stats with subpar quarterback play. I mean, and everyone kind of talks about it, but even for him to be in the top 25 of our grades with quarterbacks that are still missing him a lot of the time just kind of speaks to how good he really is and you can just see that grade shoot up when you can get um, better quarterback playing somebody that can really hit him when he's in stride and you know actually taking full advantage of of him beating his man well Washington's quarterback play hopefully will be better this coming season as compared to the quarterback play of recent seasons with Carson Wentz as our commander starting quarterback, this is the first time that you and I have spoken since the commanders made the trade for Wentz in March. How is Nick Ackridge feeling about the commanders having traded for Wentz? Yeah, I've been I've been back and forth. Um, my initial reaction was a little disappointed because I've never been the biggest Carson Wentz fan in just the way he plays the quarterback position. He's very 
what I like to call hero ball. And I've talked about it before where he likes to maybe not take that first option that's given to him. That'll be a nice six, seven yard game, but instead try to scramble out of the pocket and make something that really isn't there. And, it, and it's kind of been his problem in the past is just kind of trying to make everything a massive, massive play when it just isn't there. And that's when you see some of those wild underhand shovels and the, the throws that just aren't there and those sort of weird things. But I, I do think he is a genuine upgrade over what we've had. Um, I think you can get top 15 quarterback play out of him when he's at his best. It's just trying to get that consistently. And that's where teams have failed in the past. And I don't know if a third team is going to be able to kind of figure that consistency out, but um, I would, I would love to see it because if you can get that consistency and what he was doing when he had that MVP type season with the Eagles, then I think the sky's the limit for this offense. Washington went into this offseason desperate for a franchise quarterback, ultimately made the trade for Carson Wentz. Now that we have the benefit of hindsight and we know what quarterbacks went for in the trade and free agent markets this offseason, and we know what happened with quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL draft, how do you view the commanders having traded for Wentz? Uh, Was this a reasonable play or did the commanders make the wrong move? You know, hindsight is nice to be able to look on it back, but I, I think they did what they could really. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of, of, of trading all those picks and then still paying him that full salary, but obviously you don't know what it's like anywhere else. I, I think I think they did the best they honestly could. I just don't think you could go into the season again with Heineke as your starting quarterback. I mean, we all love him and he stepped in and done more than what we thought he could, but I just don't think you can you know, start the season with him at quarterback and expect to really compete. And I feel like they think that in a a weaker NFC division that they have a chance to at least compete and make a push for the playoffs. And once you get in the playoffs, it happens. So I think they had to, they they did what they had to do. Um, I don't think it's too steep of a price now. I, I did at the time, but I think it's, I think it was a good trade. And I think they, you know, they got at least someone who, um, like I said, if you can get the best out of him, can put you in a good spot. You look at Carson Wentz through the prism of pro football focus. Wentz's overall PFF grade for the 2021 regular season was 70.9, but his PFF passing grade on deep passes in the 2021 regular season was 90.7. I know that how a quarterback does on deep passes can vary from year to year, but do you believe that Wentz this coming season being a great deep passer for a second consecutive season is realistic? Yeah, I do. I don't, that's never been a problem with Wentz. His problem, like I said, is just kind of just those brain dead plays where he's just trying to make something happen when it's just not there. And instead of just eating it or taking a sack, he just tries to make something crazy happen. Um, but you can kind of see it in his grades. You'll, he'll have those crazy high games in the 90s and then he'll have those grades where it's down in the 40s, which kind of makes sense why it's at 70 and it's kind of perfectly in the middle there. Um, but 70 is above average in our grading system. So, and if you can get above average quarterback play, which is something we have not had for a very long time. Um, I think you can see the offense take a, a nice step, and his deep passing is something that will really hopefully open up Terry McLaurin more. You know, take full advantage of him because he's he's open on these routes. He always has been, but we just haven't had the quarterback to hit him in stride. We're talking Commanders offense with Pro Football Focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge, who is a Commanders fan. I know that you're a fan of Scott Turner. Uh, how do you see his offensive scheme meshing? with Carson Wentz. I know. I think it's, I think it's a good fit because like I said, these deep routes have been open. Um, they just haven't been hit because just of the quarterback play um, and Heineke, he'll try it, but he just didn't have the arm strength. Um, and he, he did all he could, but we saw a bunch of jump balls that from that Terry won that he just, they didn't need to be jump balls. Like Terry had him beat. Um, and it wasn't just Terry, it was other receivers too. So, I think it's a good mix. I think you can finally, this season, if you can get a full, healthy Carson Wentz, I think you can finally truthfully judge Scott Turner's offense based on the results on the field. I think it's been tough to do that because, you know, you haven't had the quarterback. And if you're watching the games back, and you, you could see just so many throws missed, so many reads that were missed. But I think you can finally get a good grasp of what he could do as an offensive coordinator. I am of the belief, and I know that I'm not alone, that the cast of offensive players with whom Carson Wentz will be playing this coming season is superior to the cast of offensive players with whom Wentz played with the Indianapolis Colts last season. Do you buy that? I think it's 
I think it's pretty close. Um, obviously, the running back is uh, Jonathan Taylor, I think, is a better step. The offensive line, I, I think Washington has a better offensive line. I mean, just pure depth across it and just they're all above average. There's not a single weak link on that offensive line. And I think they go on the next season with that exact thing where you just have a strong core group. There's no huge, big, big name offensive lineman. That's just going to absolutely dominate, but they're all above average. They're all solid. And um, I think that's a little bit better than what the Colts had. Um, Receiving wise, I think they never had a Terry McLaurin. They didn't have that sort of number one wide receiver, but they might've had a better depth group. Nice uh, core there, but I think it's it's pretty even, um, but I don't think Carson has really had someone like Terry, so I'm I'm extremely excited to see where that goes. Regarding the Commanders' pass catching core as a whole, so receivers, tight ends, and running backs, to me the standard by which I judge Washington pass catching cores now is that 2016 pass catching core because that was the last great pass catching core that Washington had. Pierre Garçon, Deshaun Jackson, Jamison Crowder, Jordan Reed, Vernon Davis, Chris Thompson. Do you think that the 2022 Commanders pass catching core has the potential to be as good as that 2016 Redskins pass catching core? I think it depends a lot on how Diami Brown is going to fit in. Um, I don't think we, again, because we just didn't have a quarterback situation. It's, it's tough to judge somebody when you know, you're expected him to win deep. But you couldn't really see it happen because you didn't really have the quarterback to, you know, kind of take full advantage of that. Obviously, the whole Curtis Samuel injury issue was a huge problem. Um, I don't think they're at the 2016 level. Um, I think that you could possibly get there if you get a full healthy season from Curtis Samuel. I'm really high on him. I think he can be a great gadget player, but he can also play on the outside and win on the outside. Um, and Terry, we know how good Terry is. He's probably the best wide receiver we've had in a very long time, in my opinion. Um, so I think it can get close, but it, you're just, you're counting. It's, it's mostly just guessing at this point because you're just kind of hoping people can live up to what you signed them for and what you drafted them for. I want to ask you about Antonio Gibson as he gets set for his third NFL season. You could argue that he has been underrated. You could argue that he has been overrated, especially if you look at some of the efficiency stats out there. Where are you on Antonio Gibson and what he has been for Washington over his first two NFL seasons? Well, if you listen to the analytics community, they will tell you every single running back is overrated. Um, And if you listen to the fantasy football community, they will tell you every running back is underrated. So it's tough with him because we we always forget that he was a wide receiver. Like this is his third season or as an actual running back. So, and you can definitely see that there's, there's some raw um, ability there. And he, there's, there's some times where he's missing reads. We obviously know the fumbles are a problem. Um, so it's tough. I think, I think there, there was a lot of plays that he left on the table. Um, and I think that's, that's mostly because again, he's, he's new to the running back position. He's an extremely talented guy, extremely incredible athlete, but there are some plays that are being left out there. And, Washington, like I said, had a very good offensive line. A lot of plays were schemed up perfectly in the run game where he just he just missed. Um, so I think I think they brought in the competition to like with Brian Robinson to you know really push him. And I hope he steps up because like I said, he's extremely talented. Um, but I think there were plays that are just left on the table. All right, Pro Football Focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge, who is a big Commanders fan, talking Commanders offense. Nick, thanks a lot for the time, and I look forward to part two of our conversation on the Commanders defense. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. All right, up next, the Nationals. Uh, Boy, are they bad. The latest proof of that came on Tuesday night via an 11-0 loss at the Philadelphia Phillies. Exactly how bad are things going to get for the Nats this season? Much more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, the Nationals on Tuesday night begin a three-game series at the Philadelphia Phillies. Believe it or not, this was the Nats' first game at the Phillies since July 29th, 2021. The Nats on that day split a doubleheader at the Phillies. Also for the Nats on that day, they began their fire sale as the Nats over a period of a little more than 24 hours traded a total of eight players for a total of 12 prospects. A lot had changed for the Nats since their last game at the Phillies. And unfortunately for the Nats, what happened on Tuesday night was a reminder of this. An 11-0 loss at the Phillies in Game 1 of a three-game series. The Nats on Tuesday night got smashed. Uh, Here's all that you need to know, in fact. The Nats pitcher in the bottom of the eighth on Tuesday night was shortstop Alcides Escobar. Yeah. Alcides Escobar pitched for the Nats in this game, and he actually did well. He tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth. He did better than multiple other Nats who actually are pitchers did on Tuesday night. Uh, The Nats now have lost six consecutive games. The Nats in the 2022 regular season now are 29-54. and That is the worst record in the National League. And the Nats in the 2022 regular season have what is by far the worst run differential in the majors at minus 129. The Nats have gotten outscored by 129 runs. But as bad as the Nats' record of 29 and 54 is, they've actually overachieved if you go by their expected win loss record on ESPN.com based on run differential. The Nats' expected win loss record is 28 and 55. The actual record is 29 and 54. So at least you have that if you're a Nats fan. The Nats have overachieved (laughs) this season. Uh, There's also this. The Nats in this 2022 regular season now are an oh-so-pathetic 6 and 29 against the National League East. I mean, that is a sobering mark, my friends. 6 and 29 here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night on the Nats' horrendous record against other NL East teams this season. Yeah, we got we got, we definitely have to play better within our division. I mean, these are the guys we're gonna, we're going to face all the time, um, and we got to come ready to play and play 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 a lot better. You know, I mean, we lost some some close games uh, in the last few days. Um, but today was, like I said, today was kind of a lopsided game. Um, you know, and when your pitcher only goes uh, three and two third innings, um, you know things things could go awry. So you know, let's just forget about this one. Come back tomorrow and try to go one and zero tomorrow. Yeah, go one and zero every day. Uh, that is a Davy Martinez mantra. But going one and zero is a difficult task for this Nats team. This was a depleted lineup for the Nats on Tuesday night. No Juan Soto. Uh, He did not start for a second consecutive game due to left calf tightness that caused him to leave the 7-4 10-inning loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon after four innings. Uh, No Nelson Cruz. He was a late scratch due to stomach-related illness. Uh, The Nats lineup on Tuesday night featured Kbert Ruiz as the starting catcher at number four batter. Featured Michael Franco as the starting DH and number five batter. And the results were not good. Uh, The Nats got shut out. The Nats totaled a mere three hits, all of which were singles. The Nats did work four walks, uh, but the Nats went 0 for 3 with runners in scoring position. The Nats' most productive hitter ended up being Victor Robles, and he was the Nats' number nine batter. Uh, Robles on Tuesday night as the Nats' starting center fielder and number nine batter, 0 for 1, with two walks and a stolen base. Yeah, the Nats' number nine batter was their most productive batter, and he didn't even have a hit in the game. And then there was the Nats' pitching on Tuesday night. The pitching was uh, brutal. Uh, Paolo Espino struggled. Uh, he was the Nats' starting pitcher. He allowed four runs in three and two-thirds innings, and the damage could have been worse. Uh, he gave up six hits, 
Uh, two solo homers by the same guy, the ex-Nad, Kyle Schwarber, also gave up two doubles and two singles. Paolo issued a walk, recorded three strikeouts. He over his three and two-thirds innings threw an astounding 82 pitches, 53 strikes versus 29 balls. Those two home runs that Paolo gave up to Kyle Schwarber were vintage Schwarber bombs. Uh, Paolo in the bottom of the first allowed a run on a leadoff, a full count homer by Kyle Schwarber to dead center field for a one nothing Phillies lead despite Schwarber having been down at the count at one point. One, two, the home run went a projected 412 feet for StatCast. And then Paolo in the bottom of the third allowed a run on a two-out solo homer by Kyle Schwarber on a bomb to right field for a 2 nothing Phillies lead. That homer went a projected 431 feet for StatCast. And then Paolo in the bottom of the fourth allowed two runs as he gave up two doubles, two singles, and a walk. And the damage off him could have been much worse as he was pulled from the game with the bases loaded. Uh, Paolo Espino in the 2022 regular season now, ERA at 333 in 48 and two-thirds innings over 25 games, including five starts. And his last two starts have not gone well. Uh, his previous outing, 8-7 loss to the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park last Wednesday afternoon. Paolo in that game, four runs in four and a third innings. He gave up five hits, two home runs, a double, and two singles. He did have four strikeouts versus one walk. But remember, this is a guy who isn't supposed to be pitching for the Nats at the major league level. This season is Paolo Espino's age 35 season. He initially signed with the Nats all the way back in April 2014 when they signed him to a minor league contract. He has bounced around all over baseball. He signed another minor league contract with the Nats in January 2019 and then a third minor league contract with the Nats in November 2020. The Cleveland Indians took Paolo Espino in the 10th round of the 2006 MLB draft. That the Nats have gotten anything from Paolo over the last two seasons has been a nice surprise, but his uh, last two outings have not gone well. And after Paolo on Tuesday night, we got five Nats relievers. They combined to allow seven runs in four into third innings, although the culprits were only two guys, Erasmo Ramirez and Reed Garrett. Andres Machado pulled off quite the escape act. He came into the game in the bottom of the fourth with the bases loaded, two outs, the Nats trailing 4 nothing, and Kyle Schwarber, who already had hit two solo home runs in the game, at the plate, and Machado struck out Schwarber swinging on six pitches. Uh, that was a huge strikeout that Andres Machado generated of Kyle Schwarber, but then that ended up being it for Andres Machado in the game. Davey Martinez then went to Erasmo Ramirez. Ramirez in the bottom of the fifth allowed two runs. He gave up a two-out, two-run homer to JT Realmuto on an 0-2 pitch for a 6-0 Phillies lead. A pitching-starved team like the Nats. Why did it only have Andres Machado pitch to one batter in this game on Tuesday night? Well, David Martinez, during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night, got asked whether Andres Machado was dealing with something physical, and maybe that was why Machado didn't face more than one batter. Here was Davey's answer. No, he was fine. I mean, it was a big moment, you know, for him, and um, he's been throwing the ball really well. I like the way he was throwing, so I just I wanted to get him out of and, and and hopefully, we, you know, if we need him for tomorrow and another uh, moment or the next day, um, he's available. Yeah, keep in mind, too, that the Nats still have not announced the starting pitcher for Game 3 of this series at the Phillies. Uh, game 3 is Thursday afternoon at 4.05, and it may well be that the Nats want to go with a bullpen game for that game, and so perhaps Davey Martinez was saving Andres Machado for a heavy workload come Thursday afternoon. But back to what happened on Tuesday night. Reed Garrett uh, got shellacked. Bottom of the six, he allowed five runs and recorded just two outs. Yeah, five runs. In two-thirds of an inning, Garrett gave up four hits, issued three walks. He threw 44 pitches, 28 strikes versus 16 balls. Jordan Weems did toss one and a third scoreless innings. And then we got the Alcides Escobar pitching experience. Alcides Escobar, a shortstop, uh, tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth, uh, during which he gave up a single and issued a hit-by-pitch. You know, it's funny with Alcides Escobar, the Nats on June 21st reinstated Escobar from the 10-day injured list. He had been on that since June 1st due to a right hamstring strain. He has been supplanted as an Nats every game shortstop by Luis Garcia. And so Alcides Escobar has barely played since coming off the 10-day IL. In fact, he has started just one game since coming off 
the 10-day IL. So, <laughs> hey, at least the Nats got some usage out of Alcides Escobar on Tuesday night. Game two for the Nats at the Phillies is on Wednesday night at 7.05. Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. All right, so bad night for the Nationals on Tuesday night. Wild night for the Orioles on Tuesday night. A second consecutive 10-inning win over the Texas Rangers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Monday afternoon, a 7-6, 10-inning win over the Rangers. Tuesday night, a 10-9, 10-inning win over the Rangers. As the O's, Joe Angel, again, were in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column. Uh, The O's now have been in the win column in each of their last three games. The O's have won three consecutive games since a four-game losing streak. Uh, The O's in the 2022 regular season now are 38 and 44. Official attendance at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Tuesday night was awful. A mere 7,300 71 fans. What has happened with attendance at games at Camden Yards over the last few years really is sad. There is a lot that has gone into that, but geez, 7,371. That was your official attendance at Oreo Park at Camden Yards on Tuesday night. But I tell you what, the uh, dozens of fans who did attend the game on Tuesday night Got to see some game. Uh, The two teams combined to score 12 runs over the final four innings of the game. The O's blew a one-run lead in the top of the ninth, then overcame a one-run deficit in the bottom of the ninth. And the O's won despite two of their best hitters, Austin Hayes and Ryan Mountcastle, not starting, and in Hayes' case, not playing. Uh, Hayes did not play of having gotten hit by a pitch on Monday afternoon. He's dealing with a sore right wrist. Mountcastle did not start due to a sinus issue, although he did pinch hit in the game, and yet still the O's on Tuesday night mashed. Uh, The O's scored 10 runs, totaled 14 hits, worked five walks, went six for 14 with runners in scoring position. Uh, The top three batters in the Orioles lineup, Cedric Mullins, Trey Mancini, and Anthony Santander, they went a combined seven for 13 with three doubles, four singles, three walks, five RBI, and four runs. Uh, Mullins was outstanding. He is the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter on Tuesday night. Went three for four with a walk-off RBI double, a two-run double, a single, and two walks. Uh, Mullins in the Orioles, one-run tenth, a two-out walk-off opposite field RBI double to the left center field gap. Mullins in the Orioles, four-run second, a two-out two-run double to the right center field gap. Uh, This was off Cedric Mullins on Monday afternoon, having done well. Two for five with a solo homer and an RBI double. Cedric Mullins got off to a very slow start to the season, but he has been a lot better lately. Here was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night on Cedric Mullins. I think for the last two or three weeks, that has looked like, for me, the, the... The confidence is back. It's on time with the fastball was said for me. And, uh, you know, to go left on left heater and, and slice it into left center in a big spot. Um, you know, he goes deep last night. He had three hits tonight, two doubles, um, two walks. We've talked, I've talked to him a lot about that. We're taking his walks, table setting. Um, what he did last year was just a really, really tough at bat. They make a mistake. He's got the obvious power. He's a 30 home run guy. He's got power to go deep. But also, um, you know, just taking good at bats and being on time with a fastball. And that's something that we've talked a lot about um, as, of, as of late, and it's carrying over. Yeah, and the O's on Tuesday night needed every bit of Cedric Mullins' offense. The O's on Tuesday night went with a bullpen game. Uh, the results were, shall we say, not good. Uh, the Orioles' first five pitchers in the game, Austin Voth, Keegan Aiken, Dylan Tate, Nick Vespi, and Felix Batista, combined to allow nine runs in nine innings. Uh, Batista, and not Jorge Lopez, was brought into the game to begin the top of the ninth to preserve an 8-7 Orioles lead. Jorge Lopez has been struggling big time, three consecutive bad outings during the July 4th weekend. And so Brandon Hyde on Tuesday night went with Felix Batista to close out the game, but... 
Batista gave up a one-out, two-run homer to Corey Seager for a 9-8 Rangers lead. Nobody, it feels like, can close a game right now uh, for the O's. But thankfully, a former Ranger, Rugned Odor, came through. Oh, Rugie! He smashed a game-tying two-out first-pitch solo homer on a bomb to right field to tie the game at 9 in the bottom of the ninth. So Felix Batista blew the save opportunity in the top of the ninth. Rugned Odor saved the day, tied the game with the solo shot with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Like I said, this was some game on Tuesday night. Here was some more of Brandon Hyde during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night. We've been great out of the bullpen this year, and you're going to have some nights when you're not your best and tonight we weren't our best out of the pen but we picked it up offensively and and uh slugged so there was a we scored 10 runs tonight i don't know how many times we've done that um but happy with our our offense and battling back after some tough defensive innings Yeah, no doubt. Game three for the O's against the Rangers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Wednesday night at 7.05. Spencer Watkins will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 351, will include reaction to and thoughts on the Terry McLaurin contract extension press conference on Wednesday morning. Uh, we know that Terry will be speaking. We'll see if Rod and Rivera speaks, but we'll have a lot to get into. Uh, also on Thursday's show, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles. Game two for the Nats at the Philadelphia Phillies is on Wednesday night at 7.05. Game three for the O's against the Texas Rangers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Wednesday night at 7.05. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. Commanders fans, what's up? Terry McLaurin back, ready for more years to come. I want to thank the Snyder family, uh, Dan and Tanya, for this amazing opportunity for me and my family to come back, continue to try to lead this team to our goals this year. Can't wait to see you guys out at FedEx against Jacksonville this week, week one. Let's get it. We back. We back. We back. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.